Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hello and welcome to Behind the Money with the Financial Times. I'm Amy Keene. The Detroit Auto Show. It takes place in mid-January every year, and it has historically been the leading trade show for the world's carmakers. Representatives of companies from so many different corners of the auto supply chain descend on the Motor City to unveil the latest models and gadgets. But this year... Well, the auto show was really like a ghost show this year. That's FT reporter Patty Waldmeyer, who was in Detroit reporting on the auto show just last week. Patty's also been reporting on the U.S. auto industry as a whole, and she's been looking at what challenges lie ahead for American car companies 10 years after the U.S. government bailout. And today on this show, she joins us to explain what the car company of the future is going to look like. I'm Patty Waldmeyer. I'm based in Chicago. I cover autos, airlines, aircraft manufacturers, industry, and Midwest politics. In other words, Patty's a pretty busy reporter. So, Patty, set the scene for us. What what was the auto show like this year? What did you see? Well, the auto show was really like a ghost show this year. There were so many people who didn't come. There were basically a whole bunch of European automakers and luxury automakers who just didn't turn up for the show at all. That meant that the show felt quite empty. There was very little buzz on the floor. There was quite a lot going on in Detroit outside the show in the automotive industry, but there was not much going on on the show floor and there were lots of people who weren't there. So what was the mood then among the people who were actually there? There was no official theme, but the unofficial theme of this year's auto show was, hang on, guys, don't get too excited about self-driving cars because they're probably going to take a little bit longer than you thought. And a lot more focus this year on caution, a lot more focus on how hard it is to get self-driving cars up and running a lot more focus on how hard it is to make money out of these business models and partnerships, alliances, you can't do it on your own. Several of the automakers at the show said, this electric and self-driving stuff is too expensive. We simply cannot do it all on our own. We have to have partnerships either with other automakers or with tech companies in order to solve these problems and share the costs. Patty, I think it might be helpful if you could take us back a bit. How did things look for the big three U.S. car makers at the time, GM, Ford, and Chrysler, about 10 years ago? Things were extremely dire. Sales in the U.S. auto industry had fallen to 10 million vehicles a year instead of 17 million, which they had been at before and they are at now. 10 million is a really low number for the U.S. auto industry. 
Car sales in the U.S. are at a 25-year low, forcing many dealers to offer as much as $15,000 discounts on 2008 SUVs and trucks. Because of that, they were having to make absolutely swinging cuts in their workforce, in their product lines, in their dealerships. It was a grim, grim time. The U.S. auto industry is in dire straits. Sales at Ford are down 19 percent this year. GM sales are off 20, and Chrysler down a staggering 26 percent. The global financial crisis was in high gear. Automakers were finding it extremely difficult. Their buyers could not get credit to buy cars. Their buyers were too uncertain to buy cars, and that led to this dramatic decline in sales. And their cost structure just was way too high to survive. They were losing money hand over fist. They simply had to cut costs so they wouldn't have survived. The auto industry is crashing. GM sales fell 45% in October. It's bleeding $2 billion in cash a month and can't borrow. The world's biggest automaker is on the brink of bankruptcy. There is a very real fear that without help, there may be no American car makers in the future. Ford was the most interesting because Ford somehow saw this all coming and they raised $23 billion very early on before they were really in trouble and they absolutely pawned or sold everything they could think of to raise that money. And Ford had started making some deep cuts in their cost structure earlier on and they were in far better shape. But most of all, they simply had a lot of cash. So they were able to weather the downturn in sales without needing cash infusions from anyone else because they had raised plenty of cash up front. This was not the case for General Motors and Chrysler. They simply didn't have enough money to continue operating. Famously, the three CEOs went to Congress in November of 2008 and they were begging Congress to use some of the financial crisis bailout funds that were really meant for the banks and to give them to the auto industry. The bosses at the big three and the United Auto Workers went to Washington on bended knee, begging congressional leaders for a $25 billion bailout to buy them time to ride out the current crisis. They did this in a way that completely pissed off and completely annoyed Congress. They flew in private jets to Washington and asked for handouts instead of driving their own cars. They didn't get their funds. First, the big question this morning in Washington and in Detroit, what happens next? Then at the 11th hour, basically George Bush made a deal with the auto industry that they would be bailed out. He was the outgoing president. And by the time Obama got in office, there was already an agreement that the government was going to try to figure out how to bail out the Detroit auto industry. Morning, everybody. He put together a task force very, very quickly. And that task force was mainly bankers, not too many actual auto industry people. And basically, they decided that General Motors was too big to fail, that they couldn't let General Motors go under because it's such a part of the fabric of American life. So many communities depend on GM plants. 
there would have been a million people out of work. They got a lot of money from the federal government, but they also, in exchange for that, had to agree to eliminate brands, to cut jobs, to cut factories. They had to make cuts that they ought to have made long ago. And also, critically, the United Auto Workers had to agree to cuts in their compensation packages, their pensions, their pension or health care. And those were also critical because General Motors, a big part of their problem was that they were paying out so much in extremely generous pensioner health care payments that over time would have bankrupted them anyway. So they needed the buy-in of United Auto Workers in order to get the emergence from bankruptcy deal done. These companies and this industry must ultimately stand on their own, not as wards of the state. They also decided that Chrysler could be sold to the Italians, to Fiat. So it became Fiat Chrysler because Chrysler was not too big to fail. I'm confident we can make that happen, but we've got a lot of work to do. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Chrysler has emerged extremely strong in the SUV and truck markets, which are where you want to be in the U.S. car market these days. So quite early on, they basically stopped making uh, sedans and they put all their focus in SUV and trucks and they're selling extremely well. So they're quite well positioned right now. What about the remaining two big U.S. automakers, Ford and GM? How are they doing? That is quite interesting. Ford, who was definitely the strongest during the bailout period, is now by far the weakest. And Ford is in considerable trouble now. Their profits are struggling. They have a new CEO who really is struggling to persuade Wall Street that he knows what he's doing. And they are seen as behind on the race to develop self-driving and electric vehicles. General Motors, on the other hand, which was in terrible shape during the financial crisis, has emerged remarkably strong under the leadership of a very strong CEO who came from nowhere, uh, Mary Barra. And she was appointed in 2014. And she has really focused relentlessly on keeping costs under control and on profit. So she's focused relentlessly on not just making lots of cars, but making lots of profits, which was a problem for the industry before the financial crisis. They were really good at making lots of cars. They were not so good at making lots of money. So now General Motors is forecasting strong profits. This year, they're losing less money in key areas than Ford. And they also did things like they sold off their European operations, which were troubled altogether. Ford, on the other hand, is trying to restructure them. They announced about a week ago that they were going to cut several thousand jobs in Europe, but they are not hiving off their European operations. And how have ongoing trade disputes that have been largely spearheaded by the U.S., how big of a factor has this been in the last couple of years for Ford and and for GM? Has that been one of the triggers for requiring these cost cuts? So they have said that commodity costs, foreign exchange, and tariffs cost them about a billion dollars a year last year. 
in the case of Ford and General Motors, they are cutting a lot of jobs. They are closing factories and they are doing that in order to save money so that they can invest it in the future where they are no longer makers of cars. They are solvers of transportation problems. They are going to be in ride sharing, self-driving vehicles, electric vehicles. They'll no longer be commodity producers of just automobiles. That is the main trend that is driving them. It's not tariffs, really. And so until Ford and GM become these, as you call them, sort of full-fledged transportation solutions companies, what does the near term look like for those two companies? You mentioned the industry had been turning out 17 million cars a year before the crisis. We're back at 17 million now. Are there any worries that demand for cars as we know it has peaked or even plateaued for this cycle? Well, it really depends on who you ask. For at least the last three years, analysts and to some extent the carmakers themselves have been predicting a downturn in North American auto sales, which are crucial to Ford and GM. That's where they make most of their profits. And that simply hasn't happened. Last year at this time, everyone was predicting that the U.S. auto market would decline by about half a million vehicles in 2018. That did not happen. Sales actually rose unexpectedly. And that has been true for the past two or three years, where everyone has predicted that rising interest rates, rising petrol prices, you name it, would cause a decline in auto sales, and it simply hasn't happened. Having said that, General Motors has said that they are taking the cuts that they're doing now because they assume that a cyclical downturn in the North American auto industry will come, even if it doesn't come on the timetable that people are predicting. So they're preparing for one. They're not predicting that it will be this year. And most people believe that U.S. auto sales have plateaued at a very high level. So there is a downturn coming. It's like the stock market. Eventually, there will be one. It's just hard to say when. But they are factoring in the chance of a downturn along with continuing uncertainty over trade because you never know what could happen. And they always have this thing hanging over them that they need billions and billions of dollars to invest in the future, and they have to get it somewhere. Well, then let's talk about the future. Um, You mentioned that a lot of the regular suspects that you see at the annual auto show in Detroit, you mentioned when we first started chatting that they weren't there this year. Where were they? The focus of the industry is shifting to the Consumer Electronics Show. Which is also known as CES. It happens in Vegas every year. It's like the week before the auto show. Why would a car company prefer to spend money showcasing at something like CES instead of the big annual auto show in Detroit? I mean, frankly, you know, for the auto industry, if they are not able to make the transition from the auto industry of Henry Ford to the auto industry of the future, they won't continue to exist. So car makers that can't make it in a kind of consumer electronics show world are not going to be around after a few decades. And also, I think they want to be seen as players in that world to help their stock market valuations. So a lot of car makers go to the Consumer Electronics Show instead of coming to the Detroit Auto Show. So what is the car maker of the future 
going to be? That's what everyone's eye is on at the moment is can these companies transition from a world where, like in Henry Ford's day, they mainly made cars to a world in which they have to provide a much broader range of services, some of them technology-related, some of them marketing-related, some of them consumer-related, that they've never had to produce before. Ford and General Motors are experimenting with delivering groceries by autonomous self-driving car. And Ford is experimenting with delivering pizza and tacos by self-driving car. And they're trying to figure out business models that will make them money in a world where cars are self-driving. They're also trying to figure out this problem of electric cars because they need to move toward the direction of electric cars. So far, people don't are not buying a lot of electric cars, but that is the trend line. And as battery prices fall, the price of electric cars will go down. So they need to produce vehicles that are powered by something other than what Henry Ford's cars were powered by. And so is there something that both GM and Ford, that in speaking with their executives, you can say that they've learned during the years since the bailout, something that you know might help them through the next patch of uncertainty? The things they learned during the financial crisis were absolutely crucial to their continuation as thriving companies in a new world. They learned that they need to make money, not just cars. They learned to keep their eye on the profit ball and not just on the volume of how many cars they're making and selling. And also they got some key concessions from the United Auto Workers, without which they could not have continued. So new hires to auto jobs in the U.S. these days are paid much less than people who were already in those jobs. They have much less in terms of benefits and in terms of retirement protection, and they are generally a lot less expensive to employ. Those lessons will serve them in very good stead in the future. Thank you, Patty. You can read more from Patty on the U.S. automotive industry at FT.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for all of your emails. There are some fantastic story ideas that we're hoping to get to later this season. As always, if there's a company or a story you'd like us to cover, please get in touch. You can email us at behindthemoneyatft.com or tweet me at Amy P. Keen. That's A-I-M-E-E. P-K-E-A-N-E. Thank you to the brilliant Jennifer Siegel for her help producing this episode. We'll be back next week. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.